Welcome to Jewish Faith and Jewish Facts. I'm Rabbi Stephen Garten. The international community commemorates the Holocaust in January. On the anniversary of the liberation of the Auschwitz concentration camp, the Jewish world commemorates the Holocaust in April on the anniversary of the uprising of the Warsaw Ghetto. The international commemoration implicitly celebrates the Allied forces' defeat of the Nazis. Auschwitz was liberated by the Red Army. The Jewish equivalent, Yom HaShoah, which takes its name from the prophet of Zephaniah. In the book of Zephaniah, in uh, chapter 1, we read the following. Near is the great day of Yahweh, and nearing very swiftly the sound of Yahweh's dead. Bitterly shrieks here a hero warrior. Verse 15. A day of wrath is that day, a day of distraint and distress, a day of desolation and devastation. Yom HaShoah u Mishoah. So the name Yohashoah comes from the book of Zephaniah. Yohashoah speaks of heroism and Jewish heroism. It falls some 10 days before Israeli Independence Day, Yom HaAtzma'ut, that marks Jewish heroism, which came to redirect not only Jewish history, but the history of the Middle East and more. Jews have moved from the margin of history to its center. The full name commemorating the victory of the victims of the Holocaust is Yom HaShoah V'Hagvurah, literally the day of remembrance of the Holocaust and heroism. As I already indicated, for the Jewish community is celebrated in April, and on the Hebrew calendar, it is marked on the 27th day in the month of Nisan, a week after the seventh day of Passover, and a week before Yom HaZikaron, Memorial Day for Israel's fallen soldiers. Just to clarify the nuances of the Jewish calendar, when the 27th of Nisan falls on a Friday or Sunday, Yom HaShoah is shifted to avoid conflicting with the Shabbat. The date was selected by the Israeli parliament on April 12, 1951. The full name became formal in a law that was enacted by the Knesset, the Israeli parliament, on August 19, 1953. And although the date was established by the Israeli government just a few years after its establishment as a state, it has become a day commemorated by Jewish communities and individuals worldwide. As you might expect, usually on days of commemoration, we speak primarily of the victims. 
But this morning, I want not to speak simply about the numbers of six million Jews and untold millions of others who perished at the hands of the murderous Nazis. And I don't want to speak about the sadness that overwhelms the Jewish community and other communities when thinking of genocide. I want to share with you some thoughts and some readings about resistance. It is, of course, um, the least thought of aspect of the Holocaust, that for most people, the image they have of is of Jews marching with upraised hands into cattle cars on their way to extermination camps. But Jewish civilians offered armed resistance in over 100 ghettos in occupied Poland and the Soviet Union. In April and May of 1943, Jews in the Warsaw Ghetto rose in an armed revolt after rumors that the ghetto, the Germans would deport the remaining inhabitants to the Troblinka killing center. As German SS and police units entered the ghetto, members of the Jewish Fighting Organization, ZOB is the acronym for the Polish words, and other Jews attacked German tanks with Molotov cocktails, hand grenades, and a handful of small arms. Although the Jews, Germans were able to end the fighting within a few days, it took the vastly superior German forces nearly a month before they were able to completely pacify the ghetto and deport virtually all the remaining inhabitants. For months after the end of the Warsaw Ghetto Uprising, individual Jewish resistors continued to hide in the ruins of the ghetto, which SS police units patrolled to prevent attacks on German personnel. In addition, during the same year, ghetto inhabitants rose against the Germans in Vilna, Bialystok, and a number of other ghettos. Many ghetto fighters took up arms in the knowledge that the majority of the ghetto inhabitants had already been deported to the killing centers, and also in the knowledge that their resistance even now could not save from destruction the remaining Jews who could not fight. But they fought for the sake of Jewish honor and to avenge the slaughter of many Jews. As Yom HaShoah is dedicated to the memory of the Warsaw Ghetto Uprising, I thought I'd focus the rest of my comments this morning on the Warsaw Ghetto Uprising. Of course, um, Leon Uris, the American Jewish author, published a book in the 1970s entitled Mila 18, referring to a street in the Warsaw Ghetto number 18, in which the heads of the Jewish resistance movement uh, met and then uh, tried to secure safety at the end of the rebellion by moving under the underground using the sewer system. So one can find uh, lots of literature about the Warsaw Jewish ghetto, not only the novel Mila 18, but a number of movies that have been made uh, both as uh, fictionalized stories of the ghetto uprising and um, surprisingly a number of personal accounts 
have survived the uprising. In 1942, Hitler decided to liquidate all the European ghettos, and within 18 months had the more than 2 million Jews who survived the ghettos deported to death camps. Germans ordered the Jewish police in the Warsaw Ghetto to round up people for deportation. Approximately 300,000 men, women, and children were packed into cattle cars and transported to the Treblinka death camp, where they were subsequently murdered. This left a population of between 55,000 and 60,000 in the ghetto. In April 1943, the Jews learned the Germans planned to deport all the people who remained in the Warsaw Ghetto to Treblinka. A group of mostly young people formed an organization called, as I've already suggested, ZOB, for the Polish names, which means Jewish Fighting Organization. The ZOB was led by a 23-year-old by the name of Mordechai Anilewicz and issued a proclamation calling for the Jewish people to resist going to the railroad cars. In January 1943, ghetto fighters fired upon German troops as they tried to round up another group of ghetto inhabitants for transportation. Fighters used a small supply of weapons that had been smuggled into the ghetto. After a few days, the troops retreated. This small victory inspired the ghetto fighters to prepare for future resistance. Now, uh, let me be clear that this was not an outright military victory. That was an impossible consideration. But the fact that the German war machine, which had conquered Poland in just a few days, was unable to conquer the Warsaw Ghetto resistance in a similar period of time gave great heart to the Jewish residents who remained. I want to share with you something about their feelings at the resistance. Jews in the ghetto believed that what had happened in January was proof that by offering resistance, it was possible to force the Germans to desist from their plans. Many thought that the Germans would persist in unrestrained mass deportation only so long as the Jews were passive. But in the face of resistance and armed confrontation, they would think twice before embarking on yet another akachon, which is the German word for action. The Germans would also have to take into account the possibility that the outbreak of fighting in the ghetto might lead to the rebellion spreading to the Polish population and might create a state of insecurity in all of occupied Poland. These considerations led the civilian population of the ghetto in the final phase of its existence to approve of resistance and give its support to the preparation of the uprising. The population also used the interval to prepare and equip a network of subterranean refuges and hiding places, where they could hold out for an extended period even if they were cut off from one another. In the end, every Jew in the ghetto had his own spot in one of the shelters set up in the central part of the ghetto. The civilian population and the fighters now shared a common interest based on the hope that under the existing circumstances, fighting the Germans might be a way to rescue uh, 
and if not rescue, a means by which they could prolong their lives and avoid as long as possible traveling to the Treblinka, the extermination camp. After the January battle, the Jews spent the following weeks training and acquiring weapons and making plans to defend the ghetto. The Germans also prepared for the possibility of the fight. On the eve of the final deportation, Heinrich Himmler replaced the chief of the SS and the pol police in the Warsaw ghetto area and appointed uh, Ferdinand von Samarong Frankeneg with the SS and the police your leader Jürgen Stroop an officer who had experience fighting partisans to oversee the battle. The ghetto fighters were warmed of the timing of the final deportation, and the entire Jewish people population of the ghetto went into hiding. On the morning of April 19, 1943, the Warsaw Ghetto Uprising began after German troops and police entered the ghetto to deport its surviving inhabitants. 750 fighters armed with a handful of pistols, 17 rifles, and Molotov cocktails faced more than 2,000 heavily armed and well-trained German troops supported by tanks and flamethrowers. After the Germans were forced to withdraw from the ghetto, they returned with more and more firepower. After several days without quelling the uprising, the German police commander, General Jürgen Stroop, ordered the ghetto burned to the ground, building by building. Still, the Jews held out against the overwhelming force for 27 days. On May 8th, the headquarters bunker of the ZOB at 18 Mila Street, as I mentioned the name of the book by Leon Uris, was captured. Mordechai Analevich and a large number of his colleagues were killed in the fighting but several dozen fighters escaped through the sewers. On May 16th, Stroop announced the fighting was over. His, he said his forces had captured 56,000 Jews, announced that he was going to blow up the great synagogue on Tlomomek Street, which was outside the ghetto, as a symbol of victory and the fact that the Jewish quarter of Warsaw no longer exists. Approximately 300 Germans and 7,000 Jews were killed in the uprising. Another 7,000 Jews were deported to Treblinka. Clearly, the outcome was preordained, but the dramatic act of resistance helped raise the morale of Jews everywhere, if only briefly. That's the history but let me share with you some of the emotion of the resistance fighters. I want you to have a feeling for what it must have been like for them to be in the ghetto before they were um, forced to surrender or killed. This is by Mordechai Analewicz who was the leader, 23 years old, the leader of the revolt. He wrote this, and 
we are pleased to be able to say that it was smuggled out of the ghetto and preserved for history. Here are his words. It is now clear to me that what took place exceeded all expectations. In our opposition to the Germans, we did more than our strength allowed. But now our forces are waning. We are in the brink of extinction. We forced the Germans to retreat twice, but they returned stronger than before. One of our groups held out for 40 minutes and another fought for about six hours. The mine which was laid in the area of the brush factory exploded as planned. Then we attacked the Germans and they suffered heavy casualties. Our losses were generally low. This is an accomplishment too. Zed, doesn't tell us who that is, fell next to his machine gun. I feel that great things are happening and that this action which we have dared to take is of enormous value. We have no choice but to go over to partisan methods of fighting as of today. Tonight, six fighting groups are going out. They have two tasks, to reconnoiter the area and to capture weapons. Remember, short-range weapons are of no use to us. We employ them very rarely. We need many rifles, hand grenades, machine guns, and explosives. I cannot describe the conditions in which the Jews of the ghetto are now living. Only a few exceptional individuals will be able to survive such suffering. The others will sooner or later die. Their fate is certain, even though thousands are trying to hide in cracks and rat holes. It's impossible to light a candle for lack of air. Greetings to you who are outside. Perhaps a miracle will occur and we shall see each other again in these days. But it is extremely doubtful. The last wish of my life has been fulfilled. Jewish self-defense has become a fact. Jewish resistance and revenge have become actualities. I am happy to have been one of the first Jewish fighters in the ghetto. Where will our rescue come from? You can hear his poignant plea for help. You can hear his resignation at the eventual outcome. But for those of you who really don't know what conditions are like in the ghetto, I want to read to you two other little vignettes about uh, the ghetto. One is by uh, a young girl who... uh, we don't really know the name of. Listen carefully. This is written and dated April 18th, 1943. The militia is in Warsaw. An SS detachment has arrived with 400 men and six officers. There is also an Erzatz detachment of cavalry with 450 men and 10 officers. A police unit of 160 men and six officers. A Zundernheisten unit of 48 men and two officers. A Ukrainian unit of 150 men. A 55-man security police and a police unit of 471 men and officers. The Wehrmacht supplied these weapons and special units. 
four cannon and operators, a flamethrower, a pioneer unit of 16 men and two officers, a sanitation unit, an ambulance. The other military units are to be reinforced later. There is now a fully trained and equipped army in Warsaw ready to attack the ghetto fortress. It is Passover Eve. On this night, mothers and grandmothers, busy with their household tasks, were wont to work far into the night. Fathers would tour their homes with a goose wing to dust away breadcrumbs, the ritual of removing leavened bread called hummets in Hebrew. But tonight, families are busy carrying bunkers into bundles into bunkers. Men pace the courtyard nervously. Windows are darkened, but there is feverish activity inside. People talk in whispers. It is midnight. The Jewish fighting organization is emerging. Curfew is not observed tonight. Armed Jewish troops in German uniforms appear in the streets, banging on doors and gates. The residents watch with mixed consternation and enthusiasm. Oh, you Jewish children, dear little boys, oh, you fighters. A chapter of Jewish history, as well as that of Poland, marches in the streets tonight. They arouse and alert. They call upon their brethren to resist. The announcement of the uprising has been posted on the ghetto walls. Now comes the last appeal, the cry to fight, to die for the honor of our people. But all their cautious vigilance is in vain. For the ghetto does not sleep. It hearkens to the footsteps of those who tread stealthily in like savages, bent on plunder and pillage, like beasts honing in for the kill. Do you get the feel of what it was like? Do you have a sense of the meaning of the resistance? Do you understand how powerful it was to rise up in the face of such overwhelming odds? Again, let me share with you an anonymous little statement about what life in the ghetto was like so that you can have a true picture of the magnificent emotional commitment that it took to raise an army of resistance. This is translated from the original Yiddish. No artist can adequately, adequately portray the ghetto streets. My pen fails me. I strain my dim memory to recapture scenes, experiences, and yet I cannot turn them experience. An experience is something fleeting. Actually, it was a continuous miasma of five years' duration and interrupted, unfaltering, a constant nightmare. The year is 1941. Typhus rages in the ghetto, taking a monthly toll of six to 7,000. It is dawn, a courtyard on Mila Street. The cobblestones are strewn with naked corpses that are covered with dirty paper. There is no money for burial, so a cardinal sin, desecration of the dead, is committed against those most dearly loved parents, brothers, sisters, children. The few leftover rags of the deceased must be used for the survivors. 
The dead who had been so cherished in their lifetime are tossed out during the night with dirty paper covering their faces. These nameless corpses with no one to chant the prayer for the dead Kaddish for them are gathered in heaps on the cemetery and thrown into collective graves. There are thousands upon thousands of such nameless corpses. It is impossible to abide by the holy laws and dig individual graves. And furthermore, why and for whom? Half dead, half naked, swollen human beings with lacerated parchment yellow bodies are scattered along the wall of the Catholic Church on Lazino Street. Sickly infants with pussy eyes breathe heavily, emitting gurgly sounds. The older ones, pale and emaciated, beg with their last bit of strength. A piece, a piece of bread they call for. The street is already crowded. Everyone tries to make his way carefully for fear of touching someone infected with typhus. A bedraggled, filthy Jew... Barefoot and frothing at the mouth is dragging a small wagon load of children who wail, bread, bread. Suddenly there is a commotion and someone shrieks, nab him. A barefoot urchin munching greedily on a hunk of bread sloshes through the mud with his filthy feet. He stumbles on a corpse and falls with the bread in his hand. The fellow whose bread it was grapples with him, trying to retrieve the loaf that has been so difficult to get, and which is now chewed up and soiled with the spittle of the grabber, a fellow who might even be infected with typhus. These grabbers were a particular sort. Though panic-stricken and hungry, they still had a bit of strength and gumption left to break the sacred law of property rights for a piece of bread. They were beaten mercilessly by those whom they robbed and by the police. But it was impossible to eliminate them as it was to obliterate the hunger. Can you feel what the ghetto was like? Can you feel why resistance seemed impossible and why the actuality of resistance meant so much to those Jews who were able to muster the physical strength and physical fortitude of it. You know, every time I read these personal accountings, every time I hear of the struggle to maintain some sense of humanity, I remember that people continually ask, why well, remember the Holocaust? Why 70 years after the liberation and more than 80 years after the implementation of the 1938 Nuremberg Laws do we even think it's important? And I would simply remind you of what the great speaker of the Holocaust told us. The Holocaust is our challenge not to be indifferent. Indifference. The word means no difference, a strange and unnatural state in which the lines blur between light and darkness, dusk and dawn, crime and punishment, cruelty, compassion, good and evil. Indifference. That is what Yom HaShoah is about. In this time that we live in, we've experienced war other genocide, the murder of individuals. 
We've seen what can happen when indifference is palpable, as it was in Sarajevo and Kosovo and Ethiopia and Eritrea and Rwanda and hundreds of other countries, Cambodia and Nigeria. Yom HaShoah is the day in which we remember the dead and those who fought not to be dead in the Jewish community. But it is our clarion call to never be indifferent. For Jewish Faith and Jewish Facts, I'm Rabbi Stephen Garten, wishing you a good day. Shalom. Shalom.